just going to wait on the bride and groom as they make their way up here. Luke, if you would stand here, Kiri here. Okay. <laughs> Marriage is what brings us together today. No, just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. Okay. Kiri, do you, Kiri, consider taking Luke to be your wedded husband, to have when he's worth it, to hold when you feel like it from this day forward for definitely the better and maybe the worse if it's not too much of an inconvenience. For richer, for show. For poor, uh, I don't know. In sickness, maybe if he's not like throwing up or doing anything else that grosses you out. Or in health, as long as he doesn't, like, gain a lot of weight. <laughs> to love and to cherish until a completely unbiblical divorce do you part. Maybe. All right. By the power invested in me, I now pronounce you married according to the idea that most people in our society who are not committed to anything, even their own spouse... You may now seal this hopeless and sad excuse of a covenant relationship into which you enter with no commitment, with a totally inappropriate, extremely too long, open mouth French kiss. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, I am disgusted to introduce to you for the first time Mr. and Mrs. Conditionally Committed. The, uh, so, yeah, that's kind of what our society thinks about a covenant relationship. That's really the only example we have of a covenant relationship in our society. Everybody breathe. It wasn't a real marriage. They're not married, even though I'm a minister. Doesn't count. So I'm, I'm going to talk about where the origins of a covenant relationship came from. And it was a lot more serious um, than that. So when a, in, a, in biblical times, especially like during Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, those time periods, there, uh, a covenant would occur between a king and, a, and a, like a conquering king. And what would happen is they would they would uh, there would be like a series of blessings and curses. So like the blessings of the covenant and and the curses if you break the covenant would be issued, and the subordinate king would pledge his allegiance to the conquering king in a special ceremony where the blessings and curses would be read aloud. Now the word covenant literally means to cut. So. They would seal the covenant with with an animal sacrifice, and I and I have brought some animal animals with me. They're back there, Lauren. Could you go ahead and get those for me? Um, animals. 
animals. So an animal like a ram, a bull, or dove would be cut into pieces and placed on opposite for one another, and they would walk through the pieces. So I'm going to kind of demonstrate here. Uh, you can hold one side, Lauren, and we'll just rip that one apart. There it goes. And then rip that one apart. And then there we go. And so we kind of group them together a little bit like this. And now I need, let's see, um, James. Perfect, James. Okay, James, uh, I'm going to conquer you. And I, you're the king. You're a king, and you're going to enter into covenant relationship. I'm a king. And so you're going to do the ceremony and we'll read the blessings later and the curses later. But right now, you're just going to walk in a figure eight through the pieces of the animal like that. Yep. Walk in the figure eight there. And see, this symbolizes, keep coming, come back around. Yep, there you go, perfect. Yep, this symbolizes if you break this covenant, this is what's going to happen to you. So it's a little more serious than what I just demonstrated with the marriage, right? That's serious. Okay, you can sit down. Everybody give King James a hand. So in Genesis chapter 15, God enters into a covenant with Abraham. And Abraham does this. He cuts a bunch of animals in half at God's instruction, places them on both sides. And then he kind of sits and waits on what to do. God doesn't say anything. Um, and he falls asleep. And he, when he wakes up, there's this flaming, smoking fire pot that's making its way through, in a figure eight, through the animal pieces, just like James just did. And uh, the fire represents God. And, and here, God is the one, rather than Abraham, passing among the pieces, pledging his own body, so God pledged himself to the covenant, and Abraham didn't have to walk through. So basically saying, I'm entering this covenant, and, and my body's on the line. And even if you break it, I'm going to be the one that ends up like these animals. And so that's the covenant with Abraham. But later in Exodus 19, we get the Ten Commandments, and that, that's one of the, the conditions of the covenant with Israel, the entire people of Israel. And then in Deuteronomy 28, the blessings and curses are read aloud right before they're entering the promised land to remind them of the covenant that they had with God. You see, the biblical definition of love originates in this practice, in a covenant relationship. So love is not a feeling or an emotion. It's being committed. It's covenant relationship. So anytime I do a wedding, which I'm doing a wedding this Saturday, I will always say, by definition, as soon as you put this ring on your finger, you're in love. And it doesn't matter if you feel like you're in love or not, you're in love because love is covenant relationship. It's a commitment. So really, the important time for the commitment is, even, is when you don't feel like you're in love. Because if you're only committed when you feel like it, that's not a really commitment, Right? You don't need commitment whenever you feel like doing something. You need commitment when you don't feel like doing something. So this is kind of the foundation of what, what 
the Hebrew idea of love and covenant relationship is. So Jesus dying on the cross is God fulfilling the covenant both to Abraham and to the people of Israel. And so we're going to look at Romans chapter 7. This is one of my favorite, favorite uh, scriptures in the Bible. If you want to go ahead and turn there or open your device to there, um, we're going to start reading in verse 1. bookmark. Where's it at? There we go. Okay. It says, this is Paul writing to the Romans. He says, do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is an authority over someone only as that person lives. For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law that binds her to him. So then, if she has sexual relations with another man while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from that law and is not an adulteress if she marries another man. So, my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit for God. So what Paul is is comparing our relationship with Jesus to a marriage. And the this is one of the, the best analogies I've ever seen. Jesus, one of the reasons Jesus had to die was to release mankind from the old covenant. So it's so it's like we Israel kind of man was in relationship with God, and it was like an impossible covenant. Like there's no way they could fulfill the conditions. And because Jesus died, man is released from that covenant and able to enter into a new covenant, which the Bible describes as a better covenant that we can actually have relationship and, and live out. So it's like we move from a, from a battle we cannot win to a battle we cannot lose. So here, here are the, the covenants if, if on the next slide. I've got a little chart. So the gospel is, I'm accepted through Christ, therefore I obey. The old covenant, which is the top one on the right, is I obey, therefore I'm accepted. Now there's also a perversion of this new covenant. It's called perverting the grace of God into a license to sin. Some of you may be familiar with that. I know I was when I was growing up. That's I'm accepted, therefore I can do whatever I want. So the, so the actual gospel is faith equals salvation plus works. The old covenant was works equals salvation. Ten commandments. You've got to do these things to earn acceptance. And the perversion is faith just equals salvation. doesn't matter what you do. Right? The... Uh, um, Oh, I lost my place. There we go. Okay. So, Galatians 2.16 says, Know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith in Jesus Christ. So, that's the gospel. James 2.17 says, Faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, it is dead. So, that's this perversion down here. So, really, we want to be on this side. And that's where we want to be all the time. 
But if, if any of you have been a Christian for any time at all, you know that it's hard to live with a, this mindset because it's almost like our default is something over here. It's something like, oh, i got to earn my way or, oh, I'm independent, I can do whatever I want, right? So we have to be constantly reminding ourselves that we have a new covenant and this is what it is. Everything that we do is a response to what Jesus has already done to us. So what we're going to do tonight is talk through some of the ways that we can live out being on this left side, constantly living out the gospel instead of drifting our way back into living like we're trying to earn our way or living so independent from God that we can just do whatever we want. So we think it's almost like a pendulum, like we think that, that, that we need to find this white line in between these two, that these are two extremes, but the reality is that the gospel is something completely different. So let me give you an example. So let's say prayer. So if you're in the top right box, prayer is like, if I don't pray, if I don't do my, have my devotional time, God won't love me because we're trying to earn acceptance. Or if you're in the bottom right box, prayer is like, oh, I skipped my bento, I skipped my devotional time, it's okay, God forgives me. But if you're actually living out the gospel, if you, if you skip your time with God, you're like, wow, I skipped my time with God, man, I really miss Jesus today. I miss having that time with him. You see, the right side is treating God like a boss. He's either very strict or very laissez-faire. Like, doesn't care. Like, oh, do whatever you want. But the left side is treating God like a covenant partner, like a spouse, like a close friend, like someone we actually want to spend time with. Does that make sense? So, the first thing, if we're going to do, if we're going to live this out, the first thing that we have to do is change our perspective. Like I said, our default mode is something on, you're living out this side. So, imagine if you wake up every single morning and your phone and your computer are always restored to their factory default settings. And you lose all your personalized options, and you have to re-go, re-go in and reprogram it every single day. That's basically how we work, because we spend our entire lives, our very nature is operating off of we got to earn our way, or I'm independent, I'll do whatever I want. And so it's like we have to preach the gospel to ourselves every single day. So what does that look like? Um, That means like contextualizing the gospel. We say that the gospel is transferring your trust from yourself to Jesus Christ. So you're no longer trusting in your own ways, your own works to get you to heaven. You're trusting in what Jesus has already done for you. So um, I had a friend, Lewis, one time. Uh, He would would go and... uh, and in to pay, pay his bills once a month. He would go into online bill pay and pay his bills once a month. And he would come out and just be super mad because he didn't like paying bills. You know, who does? Who likes paying bills? Nobody's going to raise their hand for that. And his son called him out on him. He said, he said Dad, you know, you, your salvation is transferring your trust from yourself to Jesus Christ. Why can't you transfer your trust from yourself to Jesus Christ in the context of paying bills, you know? Why does your attitude completely change and reflect, you know, this, like, I can tell you don't want to spend money on these things. Why do you let it affect you like that? Are you not transferring your trust from yourself in Jesus Christ with this? So it's like every little situation we can, we can contextualize the gospel. It's like, okay, Jesus, I'm just going to trust you with this. 
I'm going to trust you with this. Every single step, I'm going to trust you with this. It's always taking the pressure off yourself and transferring it to Jesus. And every sin issue, every mistake we make is rooted in not trusting the gospel. If, we, if we're not trusting in, so let's take, um, let's take pornography, for, for example. So most, so, so, porn, so I was addicted to porn for a long time. And I realized that that addiction was rooted in my, my view of myself, like my manhood. It's like if I felt insecure, if I felt, you know, just degraded or something, I needed something that would make me feel manly. So if we're not trusting in our identity that, that, to come from Jesus, that's what we're, we're going to go to things like that to feed that identity crisis. That makes sense. So everything that we we do, we we should be like, well, uh, who cares if I feel like a man right now or not? Jesus, the the God of the universe, loves me, and and my identity is rooted in Him. So it's always a transfer of trust. Like I, I'm not trusting my own feelings, but I'm going to trust in what Jesus says about me. That's the gospel. So, okay, so that's the first thing. Change your perspective. Contextualize the gospel. Preach the gospel to yourself. The second thing is focus on falling in love with Jesus. We can try to manage all these things, try to manage every little sin issue, manage everything, but really all we need to focus on is falling in love with Jesus. So I want you to imagine a scenario. Some of you have um, probably observed this before that uh, a girl dates a guy, he's probably no good for them, and you tell them, like, hey, girl, that guy, he's no good. He's going to treat you bad. He's, he's just, I don't even know why, you know, why are you considering dating him? And he does what you expect. He just doesn't even act like he's in a relationship, cheats on her all the time. She knows it. She takes him back. Over and over and over again. And so in that scenario, everybody hates that guy, right? Everybody hates that guy. Give me some feedback. You hate that guy. But the reality is, is that we are that guy. That Because we know that every, every sin, every mistake, every time, oh, God's going to forgive us. We're good. And we act like that, for that forgiveness that he paid for was easy. You see, we can try to manage all these things and set boundaries, get accountability. Those things are good. But if we don't correct the fundamental problem, if we don't actually love Jesus, none of that's going to work. See, I love my wife. There's no woman on earth that I'd rather be with than her. Now, that doesn't mean I go out and do stupid things to try to tempt myself because, because I know I love her. But if I didn't love her... All the boundaries in the world that I set with other women wouldn't matter because I'm not committed to her, right? So we have to focus on the one thing that matters, and that's falling in love with Jesus. So the, what does that look like? That looks like having a devotional life. I fell in love with Jesus sweeping the halls of my high school because that's when he would speak to me when I was a janitor in, in college. And we have to start focusing on the fruit and start focusing on the root and take our thoughts captive and make them obedient to Jesus. So 
try to think about let <laughs> I'm going to tell the horrible joke. The bad pickup line. You guys have heard it before, I'm sure. It's, "Hey baby, you tired?" because you've been running through my mind all day. That's what it should be like with Jesus. He should captivate our mind. See, I haven't I haven't used that one in a while. Some of that was new to y'all. <laughs> Jesus should captivate you. Okay, so we've got change your perspective, focus on falling in love with Jesus, check your motivations. Why are you doing what you're doing? What if you knew all, if all of your efforts were fruitless, would you still obey Jesus? Or are you obeying to puff yourself up and make yourself look good? That's called pride. Uh, are you trying to build God's kingdom or are you trying to build your own kingdom? Does what you're doing even glorify God? And sometimes we think our own actions are good enough that they can earn our way. When in reality, even our good works, the Bible describes them as filthy rags. The best we can bring, and I know this well because I'm a father of two, that's a two-year-old and a seven-month-year-old, and I know my very best effort as a father, my very best effort as a husband will fall miserably short of what they need, and that reality just slaps me in the face every single day, every day. So you, you have to remember that even the good things that we do are never going to be good enough. So check your motivations. Why are you doing what you're doing? The fourth thing is confess. Okay. So if you, anybody ever been to the Empire State Building? Okay, one person. All right. So if you, <laughs> if you go to the Empire State Building and you just go in the lobby and you come back out and you don't go up, does that count? You've been, you technically been to the Empire Statement, but you hadn't been to the top, so does, that doesn't really count, right? It don't count. It don't count. So, you, so you've been to the location, but you haven't actually experienced it, right? So you can go to church. You can go come to Chi Alpha service. You can go to the location, but you have to have an actual experience. And let me tell you, the, the most transformative experience in my life was not at church, was not in, in a Chi Alpha service. It was in a small group. It was in a core group. It was when we were sitting around and, and dumping our souls on one another, bearing all of our dirty laundry, and everybody loving and accepting one another, just like Brody said, despite all of our mess. That made a tangible experience of the gospel. See, it became real. It's like, wow, this is how Jesus loves me. He sees all of this mess anyway and loves me the same. So seek out community. Join a core group. Seek out accountability. Uh, fifth thing, change your people, places, and things. Change your people, places, and things. I don't know if y'all have been keeping up with Kanye West, maybe a little bit. One of my favorite things he said this far is somebody asked him if he was going to play or sing any of his old music, 
And he replied, you don't go to an Apple store and ask for an iPhone 4. Because when you're a new creation, you do new things. Now, I know if you're like me, I was, you know, living in a new creation probably around your age. But I was still going, listening to the same old music, watching the same old movies, going to the same old places, hanging out with the same old people. If you're a new creation, you got to find new people, places, and things. You can't just go back to the same old places and same, do the same old things that you did before because you're new. So when you're in that state, you're not growing because you're sabotaging your own health and relationships. So what do you need to do? You need to burn bridges. You, gotta, you might have to block somebody. You might have to cancel your Netflix account if you only watch trashy stuff on there. I don't know. Maybe you need to just get off social media altogether. I don't know. Whatever it takes to change your people, places, and things because a lot of times our environment affects us more than we realize. And that's going to take some sacrifice. That's going to take some surrender. But write this one down. This is good. We give up things we love for things we love even more. We give up things we love for things we love even more. And so a lot of times what the only thing we're willing to sacrifice for Jesus is something that's sinful. But he might be asking you to give up something more. You see, all of this, there's no way to become a Christian without death. The only way to move from one spouse to another is a death or a divorce, which is a lot like death. Anyway, every psychologist, every counselor will tell you that one of the most traumatic things you can ever go through is the death of a spouse or a divorce. If you're going to become a Christian, Paul says that you go through something like that. There's a huge change in your life. You're going this direction, and then there's a death, and all of a sudden you experience a new passion, a new delight towards Jesus. So my question for you tonight, has that happened to you? If it hasn't happened to you, you probably don't understand Christianity yet. So this is how we're going to close tonight. Um, In just a moment, not right now, but just a moment, I'm going to uh, call for the core group leaders to come up, and we're going to have a time of prayer. And uh, if you could put that graph back up there, the little, yeah, there we go. If you have trouble, maybe you're already a Christian, you're already following Jesus, you've accepted him, you know, accepted his free gift of salvation, but you have trouble living on this side. You're constantly reverting back to or perverting the gospel into the license of sin. Just seek out prayer for it. Seek out accountability. Maybe there's something specific I mentioned that you can share with a person that's praying with you that you want to put into action to to really live on this side to live in that new covenant, that new relationship. So that's what we're going to do. So worship team, if you go ahead and come back up, whoever, how you're going to close. And while they're moving, if everybody could just bow your heads and close your eyes just to give everybody a moment of privacy. I believe there are some of you here tonight for the first time, you want to open up, you, you want to accept this new covenant. You want to 
start communicating with God and living out this acceptance that Jesus offers. If that's you, I'm talking to you. I want You want to access God through Jesus for the first time. You want to become a child of God tonight. Simply look up and make eye contact with me and put your head back down. Just make eye contact with me. See those eyes? Who else? Who else? All right. Who else? Okay. Here's what we're going to do. Simply by looking up in response, you've already become a follower of Jesus. So we're just all going to pray together to welcome you into the family of God and express what's happening in your heart. So if you guys, everybody would just repeat after me. Jesus, thank you for giving me access to God. Through your death and resurrection. I know I could never access God on my own. Forgive me of all my mistakes and help me to put my trust in you and actively follow you the rest of my life. Amen. All right, you can look at me. Welcome to the family of God. If you became a follower of Christ tonight. Yeah, you can clap. Go ahead. If you've, if you've started following Jesus tonight, please tell someone you can't do Christianity alone. Community was actually a necessity for one of the points. <laughs> so here's what we're going to do now. Okay, so um, just everybody go ahead and stand up. Corporate leaders, make your way to the front. I'm going to pray again, kind of a, just a blessing over us. And, and while I'm praying, if you guys would just move to seek out prayer. Lord, thank you, God, that you came to this earth, lived a sinless life, performed miracles, you died on the cross and rose again, all so that we could enter into a better covenant with you that we would release from that impossible covenant where we couldn't win and we're now in a covenant where we cannot lose. We're so grateful. So I pray that you would help us to live in that every single day. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, seek out prayer.